Day by Day is a song originally written in Swedish uh, well over 100 years ago, about 150 years ago, by Carolina Sandel. Such a good reminder from the past of God's, God's faithfulness, even the country of Sweden. Well, I'm so grateful for the people, for, for Tom and for Alex and our friend Jonathan who were sharing God's word while I was gone. In a couple weeks, we're going to begin a new time in God's word in going through the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to take one more Sunday just to take a look in the book of Proverbs. Um, so before we begin, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to bless his word. God, your word asks the question, what is our life? You answer it. It is a vapor that passes quickly. But God, we thank you that while we have today this precious gift of life, this stewardship, we want to thank you for it. God, you have been faithful. You have been faithful to each and every one of us. You've watched over us. You provided for us food, care, health, blessings, opportunities to trust you. All of the gifts that we have are from you. And so, God, we do pray that with each passing moment, we would turn to you for the grace and turn to you, Father, as with our lives as an expression of praise. God, thank you again for this church. Thank you for taking each and every one of us and placing us here. We ask, God, as you gather us together, it would be for your good. It would be for your glory. God, we ask that as we are gathered together as a church, not just on Sunday, but our lives overlap, it would be that we would grow. We would encourage one another. We would, we would help each other to see Jesus, to trust Jesus, to yearn to be more like Jesus. God, in that we have failed this week to do that, we readily confess we have not been the disciples you've called us to be. God, maybe we've forgotten you. We've trusted ourselves. We've turned to things that, for satisfaction, for peace, God, that will give no peace. Lord God, make us a people rooted and grounded in you and your word. God, make us a people that are spirit-filled and spirit-led. God, make us a people that are, are available to you, vessels for your good, for your glory, for your using, for your choosing. So God, would you use today your word and would your spirit, God, take your word and transform us, renew our minds, God, strengthen us, Oh God, make us into the people you want us to be that we long to be. And where we lack, where we fall short, God, we turn to you and confess and say, God, help us this morning. 
be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you had to guess, if you had to guess how many euros are spent globally every year to persuade people to buy products, advertising, when we add up all the commercials, all the advertisements, the, the billboards, the radio jingles, and of course, you, um, your favorite and mine, those, uh, those uh, internet ads that consume our lives in 15 to 30 second intervals, if we added up all the money spent in these advertisements, how much would that be spent every year globally? Would you believe 100 million euros? No. It's more. 100 billion euros? No. It's more. Much more. Would you believe estimates of 600 to 900 billion euros? Folks, that's nine followed by 11 zeros. It's spent every year on advertising. Estimates are until by 2024, it'll go over a trillion. Wow. You know, and at the center of advertisement, most often is the carefully crafted use of words, catchy slogans, or well-worded phrases, word combinations designed to lodge into your mind. In so many cases, this is to buy things that we don't really need. I've got good news. There's another place to find carefully worded phrases. Things that you really want to remember. Not to sell you something, but to illuminate the life of godly wisdom. And that's the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to look at one solitary verse of scripture. Maybe it's a verse you haven't really thought of or read or studied. We're going to look and read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 17. But before we look at our text, perhaps it would be good to reflect for a minute on the book of Proverbs. Because in a sense, we could take almost any verse out of the book of Proverbs. It's a unique verse of the, it's a unique book of the Bible. If we think about it for a second, what do we have? We have the Bible, right? We have the Bible that's divided into two parts. We've got the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. The Old Testament, we could say, those books we could break down, the 39 books, we could break up into four parts. The Old Testament is parts, we have the Pentateuch, the first five books. We have the historical books. We have the poetry books. And we have the prophets. Proverbs is found in that third section, poetry. Sometimes the poetry is called the wisdom 
literature. And that's good because that's kind of a key word for the book of Proverbs. So what is a proverb? A good definition of a biblical proverb is this, a short saying that expresses a general truth for practical, godly living. A short saying that expresses a general truth for practical, godly living. Now, it might be good to stop right there and note and say, we say it's a general truth. What does that mean? I would say this, that the book of Proverbs is not necessarily a book of promises. We have promises in Scripture, but the the Proverbs are telling us these are general truths. These These are things that are generally understood, but there are sometimes exceptions. These are not things that are said without exception. But it gives us this idea of what does godly living look like? In fact, if we just quickly looked at the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, it lays out the reason for the book. The proverb, chapter 1, verse 1, reads, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon's the one who didn't necessarily write all the Proverbs, but he assembled this together because as you read through the book of Proverbs, you're going to find there's a couple other authors named But he says, verse 2, why does he have this book? To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity. It's to give prudence, it's to give understanding to the simple. That's verse 4. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. We've got some youth here today. This is for you. Knowledge and discretion. Verse 5 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning. It's for the wise. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. And perhaps the key verse of the book of Proverbs is verse 7, chapter 1. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the book of Proverbs is the wisdom to live godly while living in the world. It's a book of instruction in some ways. It's how the God, it tells us how the godly respond. It tells us how the godly act. It describes how the godly interact. It describes how the godly live in a way that glorifies God. And friends, we live in a very, very noisy world, don't we? It's extraordinary. Our modern age, and I'm not just talking about planes, trains, construction sites, and traffic. More than the noise that fills our ears. Friends, it's a noise that fills our minds. This noise is often quiet. 
The advertisements, the music, the repeated mantras of the world that subtly or overtly deny God, his rule and his authority. The worldviews flowing in news, media, entertainment. We, can, we can't escape it, can we? And they lull our minds to sleep. Or they blur the lines of morality. And they softly and gently repeat, has God said? You see, the noise of the world creeps in more than we even really know. And these, these messages, they're repeated thousands and thousands of times over and over, day after day. And the enemy, the enemy's weapon here is erosion. Erosion. This is more dangerous than the full frontal assault of temptation. Because erosion just takes a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. This is 10,000 waves seeking to slowly dilute and weaken your hope and mine. And this is how Proverbs is a powerful defense. You see, we want Proverbs and, the, and godliness to be the background music of our soul. And the book of Proverbs is telling us how things are supposed to be in the life of the godly. And this is something we want to have flowing through the background of our minds. So the book of Proverbs is a wealth for us. You've trusted Christ. You've begun to follow Jesus. What does that mean? How is that supposed to look? The book of Proverbs is packed, 31 chapters that tells us this is what the life of the godly looks like. There is wisdom to be found. We'll get to 1717, but just one short word on wisdom, since that's the theme of Proverbs. You see, wisdom in the Bible is not talking about can you win at Jeopardy. It's not talking about um, how high your IQ is. Wisdom in the Bible is living in accordance or in agreement with God and his word. That is wisdom. It's living in agreement or in accord with God and his word. You see, therefore, according to the Bible, a wise person is someone who's seeking to glorify God with their life. It's somebody who desires to know God more, to serve him more, to walk with him. According to that definition... Are you wise? You see, it really doesn't matter how intelligent somebody is. It doesn't matter how many degrees they have. It doesn't matter what kind of training or education you have. There are many people that have enough doctors to fill an encyclopedia, and they, according to the God, word of God, are fools. Because they reject God's authority. Their authority is themselves. Now, one more thing about Proverbs, and this is kind of important. Is Proverbs a how-to manual 
or a litmus test. When we look at the book of Proverbs, is this something we, we pick up and read to be able to say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do? Or is this more like, like that map in the mall? You know, the one like you go and you're not really sure where you are and you find that map and it says, you are here. Because depending on how we look at the book of Proverbs, it tells a lot about how we see ourselves in the Bible. You see, Proverbs, I'm convinced, is telling us what godliness looks like as opposed to how to be godly. Yes, I mean, this is what the godly do, but here's the, here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, as people who love God, we have the easy, easy danger of slipping into moralism. Okay? It is much, much easier to look right, act right, and be right on the outside, and yet have our hearts completely dark, black, stained, shaded, cold. And one of the, one of the easiest things for a relationship with God to slide into is moralism. I'm doing the right thing, and the emphasis of my life is me doing. It is a performance. You see, the book of Proverbs doesn't tell us this is what you should do. It's telling you this is how a Christian, a child of God, is supposed to be. Some of you are trying to live the Christian life in your own strength. You're determined, you're sincere, you're serious. But you're not going anywhere with your Christian walk. Why? Because we cannot win spiritual victory with our own efforts and strengths. You see, we need to go to God. You see, Proverbs is describing a godly person. And I don't get there on my own efforts. I go there by submitting myself to God and seeking his transformation. Well, let's look today. We have time at this verse, chapter 17, verse 17. It's a very short proverb. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, normally when we look at the Bible, hopefully you're, you're used to this by now, we want to... Before we read a verse, we want to check the context of it, right? We want to say, well, what is it, what is it, the surrounding passage? We want to take it in its context. Well, the book of Proverbs is a little different. Because the book of Proverbs, for most of the book, is a series of, of I'll say, unrelated verses that are listed in some ways kind of randomly. And it makes, so reading the book of Proverbs in a chapter, you can have 20 different themes that come up in one, one chapter. But a couple of themes that are repeated, and that's what the, the book of Proverbs is. It's a collection of sayings and thoughts about different themes. One of those themes is love. One of those themes is faithfulness. And so the context of the verse really doesn't have any bearing, at least in the book of Proverbs, where in the rest of the Bible, the context is always important. But it says here, a friend loves at all times. 
Let's look at this real quickly. We want to think of who, the does what, and when. A friend is the who, isn't it? Do you have any friends? Have you ever had a friend? Are you a friend? One of the greatest gifts we can have in this world that is a very lonely world is somebody who understands us, somebody who walks with us. I hope there's somebody in your life you can say, yeah, they're a friend or I have had a friend. I hope you have a friend right now. This is a precious, precious gift. One of the greatest things that I would say is a foundation for a marriage, obviously founded upon Jesus Christ, upon his love. It's a friendship. Friendship, what a a gift. And we see lots of different friendships in the Bible. It's a great gift. It really is. We should stop, stop and thank God for the friends, the people he's placed in our lives. What a thing to have somebody who understands us, somebody who, who cares for us, somebody who, who we, we enjoy being with, somebody who actually cares enough for us to challenge us. Well, says a friend does what? They love. Today, there's many different and strange ideas about love. It's one of, the, one of the, um, the weapons of our enemy is to take things and redefine them. Love today, what does love today mean? Love today means allow me to do what I want to do. That's love. Love today means approve of whatever I want to do. And if you don't approve of what I want to do, you are unloving. Is that love? If somebody wants to hurt themselves, do I approve of that? No, no, no. We we need to understand what does God say love is? What is love according to God? I appreciate the, the idea of love being desiring someone else's highest good. That's love. When I desire someone else's highest good, that is what love is. I like what Paul Tripp said. He said, love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that doesn't demand reciprocation or the person being loved deserving. Let me say that again. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that doesn't demand reciprocation or the person being loved is deserving. So we have the who, a friend, the does what is loves, when, at all times. Wow. 
Hebrew poetry, instead of rhyming, it repeats. In English, we like to rhyme. Roses are red, violets are blue. Sugar is sweet, but this doesn't rhyme. It doesn't work, does it? We're waiting for the rhyme. That's how things go. But in Hebrew poetry, what they're looking for is things to repeat with different words. That was the idea of poetry. That was in place of rhyming. And so when it says a friend loves at all times, that's being followed by another statement that says the same thing with different words. So that at all times we get an idea of what he's talking about when in the second part of the verse it says, for adversity. It's emphasizing the fact that a friend doesn't love just when things are good. It's especially, it's especially when things are hard. You know, there's a beautiful Swedish proverb that says, love me the most when I deserve it the least, for that's when I need it the most. In adversity, at all times. It also likens a friend to a brother. We see examples of this proverb lived out in some of the accounts in the Old Testament. You think of Abraham, how Abraham was a friend to Lot. Not because Lot was necessarily a great friend to him. But he goes and he, he cares for Lot. He, he, he prefers, he gives Lot the, his free choice. And then he even goes and he delivers Lot when Lot is just kind of off on his own. We see him interceding for Lot. A friend loves at all times. A brother born for adversity. How about Joseph? How about that? We're friends to the end. And this is the end. No. No, Joseph loved in spite of his brothers failing to love him. And when, when in adversity they came in great need, he loved them. We can see other people. Moses, Moses interceding for the nation of Israel when he had had it with them. He's praying for them. What a gift friendship is. We should pray that God would help us be that gift to others. We need to move on. Let me, let me close with a few thoughts. As we think of this proverb, but we think as the book of Proverbs as a whole, let me just work through this to think how not to use the book of Proverbs, Okay? So when we have the book of Proverbs and we read through Proverbs, we don't have Proverbs to deride or shame ourselves. So we look at 1717, a friend loves at all times. The book of Proverbs is not for here for me to just to, to, to accuse myself. Oh, I'm such a rotten friend. I'm not loving. I'm not unkind. It's not to weigh on guilt or on others. What kind of friend are you? You don't love at all times. That, that's not what the book of Proverbs is for. Number two, how not to use the book of Proverbs? It's not to bear burdens 
or place on others burdens that they cannot bear. That's not what the book of Proverbs is for. Let me give you an example. Parents. Verse 17. A friend loves at all times. Johnny, God says a friend loves at all times. You are not being a good friend to your sister. You need to love her more. Have you ever heard that or said something like that? You see, sometimes we use the Bible as a lever to pry on people, but what we're doing is we're actually placing upon them something that they cannot do. We want to use the Bible in our parenting, we want to instruct our children. That's important. It's actually vital. But how we use Scripture is really important. To put burdens on ourselves. So often we read this, we just we read Scripture and we feel guilty. Is that God's meaning for us? How not to use the book of Proverbs? Number three, as a moral measuring stick to see how righteous we are. That's not what the book of Proverbs is for, okay? So if you read this, a friend loves at all times. The reading is there is not for you to say, oh, what a friend I am. I am love. That's not, that's not what it's about. I thank God that others are not like me. Or other, I, others wish they were me. It's not a moral measuring stick to see how righteous we are. How do we use the book of Proverbs? Let's put this in the positive. How do you use the book of Proverbs? Number one, as a help in prayer. Well, I was doing that this week, and yesterday was the 30th, which, by the way, is a really handy way to use the book of Proverbs. You realize in the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters, and in a lot of months, there are 31 days. What a great thing to take five minutes of your busy life and take some time to read through the book of Proverbs. I was reading through chapter 30 yesterday. I couldn't get past five, verse 6. And I would, there was just so many things that I could take to God in prayer. Realizing things that I'm missing in my life. How do we do that? Let's take verse 17 again. A friend loves at all times. How many of us could say, yes, that is me. I love 365 days a week, 24 hours a day. That's how I love. That's it. Nobody loves like that. Husbands, God has commanded you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. None of you, and not me, has lived up to that. And when we find ourselves that, no, I don't love like this, but this is how it's supposed to be, we can take this and turn this to God in prayer. God, transform me into one who loves faithfully. God, give me grace. I want to learn. I want to I grow in loving people in difficult times. God, transform me that I can love difficult people. See, this is how, how the book of Proverbs can just be a revolutionary time of prayer because you can't go through the book. You can't go through two verses and there's not something that shows a need in your life and mine. Number two, 
How to use the book of Proverbs? To help us remember we need Jesus and the gospel. When we see this, the idea is not to put guilt and shame on ourselves. That's not the idea. It's to be able to say, wow, God, this reminds me that I need a Savior. And you have offered to save me. And so even though I do not love like I should love, you have loved me like this. You are the lover of my soul. You will not abandon me. God, I praise you that the gospel is about a God who loves that never stops, who loves in all seasons and all times. The book of Proverbs can help us remember we need Jesus and the gospel. And if we're living life and we're figuring we don't need the gospel, friends, I can tell you something's not right. The gospel is not just for the ungodly, it's for us. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's our hope, it's our anthem, it's our song. God saves in spite of our shortcomings. Well, lastly, number three, how to use the book of Proverbs to point us to Christ and to help us see him in his word. As you and I spend time in the Bible, and I, I want to uh, presume upon you that you are doing that. Are you doing that? You say, well, life's busy. It is. You and I live very busy lives, and you and I may need to surgically cut some things out of our life so we can put this in our life. Are you spending time in God's word? Not as a religious ceremony, not as a lucky charm so you can go do what you want to do. Going because you realize, I need God. I need his grace. This is food for my soul. This is my hope. As we do that, as we spend time in God's word from Genesis to Revelation, we should be looking, God, where is Jesus in this passage? Not forcing Jesus into it. Not seeing him where he's not there. But friends, a friend who loves at all times, does that not describe our Savior? That is the gospel. Is Jesus a brother for adversity? Didn't we just read that in Romans chapter 5, verse 10? That's what the theme of book Romans is. It says, while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The book of Proverbs can help point us to Christ and help us see Christ in the Word of God. Just a couple of other thoughts on loving. John 15, verse 12 says this, says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, verse 12. Jesus continues, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. 
Can you believe that? God calling out, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You see, when we, when we put that together with what we've been memorizing from the book of Romans, chapter 5, it's magnificent. Because God reminds us, Romans 5, 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Maybe we would die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Christ did not give his life for his friends. He gave them for his enemies that we could become his friends, that we could become his children, his brothers. Do you find yourself lacking in love? Husbands, are you loving your wives? Wives, are you struggling to love your husbands? Teenagers, are you finding it difficult to love your parents? Child of God, are the people God has placed in your life difficult to love? What's the solution? Try harder? Friends, turn to God. Confess this to God. Tell him, I am having trouble. I don't have enough love in my heart to love these people, to love my parents, to love my wife. But God, I know you do. Pray and ask God to remind you of all his grace, his love, his splendor, his glory. Pray, pray and ask God to remind you of what a glorious salvation he's purchased for you. Pray and ask God to remind you how much you have been loved by him. Friends, it's always the case. If, if, if our, our horizontal relationships are being strained, it's a sign that our vertical relationship, our relationship with God, is not where it's supposed to be. May we turn to him. Church, we have a friend that loves at all times. His name is Jesus. We can turn our hearts to him. In fact, he shows us that he was a real friend and that he died for us. And we can praise him for that. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to tell you we are grateful that you are faithful. God, and in ourselves, we don't know anything of that faithfulness. We're not. We, we're the ones who give up. God, we're the ones who give in. We're the ones who get tired. We're the ones that are fickle. God, that is not you. That is not your love. 
that is not who you are. Today, God, I want to praise you. God, that you have loved us at all times. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, that you are a faithful God. That you promise that those who come to you, you will not cast out. And so I pray for those, any here today, who do not know that love. They have not not trusted you. They have not turned to you in their brokenness, realizing that they are bankrupt. They have nothing to offer. They have no hope but you. God, may all of us realize that that is us outside of your grace. And we turn to you today and say, God, fill us, help us. Be our light, be our shield, be our salvation, be our hope. And God, transform us. Oh, God, make us lovers, lovers like you. God, give us the grace by your spirit to love at all times. Oh, Father, that your name would be praised, that you would get the glory. We ask this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to close our time together. It's the first Sunday of the month.